One thing of note is that next week we will not have a class because there's fall break. So no, no Sunday school for adults or children next week. Um, you want to talk about, so if you have a handout, or if you don't have a handout, grab one, it's right there. Um, we're going to be talking about how you can choose officers as a member of Redeemer and how you can discern a possible call to be an officer um, as a member of Redeemer. So, the first uh, on the first page there, one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, has God given you a heart uh, for his kingdom? And uh, do you dream about the growth and beauty of God's people? And then also, sort of as a way to, to hold your, yourself accountable and think about your motivations, what are some possible sinful reasons why you would be uh, considering a call to an office um, as deacon or elder? And be thinking about that as you're thinking about choosing people to put in those, in, in those positions. I mean, we start from the premise that we, we are broken and we are not fully redeemed. And so our motivations are going to be um, misguided at, at times. And they need to be uh, assessed and filtered with... Um, what's up? Is there anyone in nursery this morning? Is Adam over there? Yeah, Adam's over there. Did you already asked him? Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa. I'm not you getting sure. Yet. I can get over there if you want to. Um, I'm not sure. Sarah, Sarah and I play. Okay. Yep. So we'll yeah. Um, we'll be in there just in case. Thanks, Kenan. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you need to be thinking about, okay, where is this person's heart at um, with discerning a call? Uh, where is your heart at if you're thinking that you could be inclined towards an office of the church? Um, family and friends, how, how has that person shepherded or served their own family and friends and close networks of people? Um, and do those people that surround them have any issues with them being an officer within the church? Uh, what would people say if asked about your heart, work, and family? Um, what are you known for within our community? And if you told a co-worker that you were nominated to be an elder or a deacon within a church, what would they say? And part of the process of discerning if a person's called is for the elders and me and Adam to follow up with uh, folks that are around them like their workplace and, and say, hey, what's this person like you know, outside the church? And so, behavior, do you have any besetting sins that will bring shame on Christ or his church? So when I, when I got ordained, I was before the presbytery, I was coming under care, is what it's called. And that question was asked of me, do you have any besetting sins that would bring shame on the name of Christ? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, many. And, uh, and the... The clarifying uh, person in the room said, "Like, is there is there anything in your life, Matt, actively right now, which you are unwilling to repent of, and that is very very secret?" Um, and so that's part of what that question is getting at: is that there is there a really intense like devil life going on that no one knows about? Um, that that would be uh, detrimental to taking an office if, if that was going on. So. 
Is there an area you need to confess and be delivered from by God's grace before you consider taking up the role of an officer? And if so, uh, who knows and needs to know as you pursue that calling? So part of what that's getting at is that are you accountable to people in your life? Do people know you intimately and personally? Um, in terms of what you believe doctrinally, uh, do you love the Word of God and want to apply it uh, to shepherding or service? Are you compelled by the mystery of Christ and His love for you? Um, do you have any major beliefs that are at odds with Redeemer? And so what that means is, uh, do you agree with the Westminster Confession of Faith with its catechisms as being sort of a, com a comprehensive stance in your theology? So one of the ways I like to uh, differentiate this is like, Stu, Stu Kearns does a good job of talking about like, First circle, second circle, and third circle issues within the church. And in this first circle is what you would need to believe to be like a member of the church. And this is like basic doctrine, apostles' creed stuff. You see it in the five vows of membership. Um, just basically like, do you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he died and rose again? Um, and... And do you believe in sin? Do you believe in the authority of Scripture? Those would be kind of like within this first circle uh, that are necessary doctrines to be just a Christian. The second circle are things like sacraments and what we talked about last week with uh, women as uh, not, not being allowed to be elders within the PCA. Very important issues um, that, that dramatically affect like the governing structure of of the church, but those would be like set. It's not core to the gospel. You can have differences and still be uh, in line with the core tenets of the Apostles' Creed. But that would be a second circle issue. Now, third circle is, I would say, stuff like uh, Calvinism, you know, covenant theology, stuff that if you are an officer in the PCA, you sort of have to line up there. Um, because we, that affects our practice and you represent the theology of the church. Now, a lot of people at this point say, well, I just want to like, believe the Bible, or I just want to you know, be a Christian without all these distinctions and, and differences. Well, the, the moment you say that, it's not being very self-aware at, like, we all come to Scripture and we immediately have to interpret. And so what the Westminster Confession of Faith is, is it's a document from the 1600s, that uh, stems from the Reformation, uh, and it's we're we're trying as a denomination just to say we are self-consciously reformed in theology, and these uh, documents, the Confession and the Catechisms, point to the particularities of what that what that means on almost every issue, um, and so. When I, for instance, when I got ordained into the PCA, I was, I was tested over the confession and the catechisms, and you have to answer the question, like, do you, do you agree with that this is uh, basically what the scriptures teach uh, in practice and doctrine? And my answer to that is yes, and it still is yes. Um, and an officer within the PCA has, has to say that as well. It doesn't mean that you can't have differences with, with the confession or that you can't disagree with it in parts. But one of the distinctions that we make, um, especially at the presbytery level, is that does your difference strike at the vitals of religion, is the language that we use. And so basically, um, 
you know, is it getting more into, are your different, like if you have differences, are they getting more into these first and second circle areas? Um, so, and that's what you kind of have to assess. If you're an officer and, and you're like, I don't line up with this uh, theology, then, it, you know, the church, our particular church at this time would probably not be a good fit in terms of you holding office. That doesn't mean that you can't serve and do the same stuff that an officer does, um, but we, we want to be self-conscious in where we stand theologically, and that's summed up in the, the confession and catechisms. So, um, you got any questions about that? Because that's, that's sort of a lot and can get, uh, yeah, can get a little tricky. So like an ex example of where you could have a difference. Um, the writers of the confession itself, there were multiple views on end times theology. So you, you have what's referred to as like premillennials and amillennials and postmillennials all working on the confession. But the reason why that's... Um, Okay, like if you and I would disagree on end times theologies because we would see that sort of in the third circle. Now, if you came and said to me, I don't, I don't really believe in the authority of Scripture, um, then that would be, you know, first circle type of problems that would strike at the vitals of like religion um, is sort of a distinction there. So... Um, so how do you, if you don't have any questions, I'll move on to uh, discerning the call, the, uh, the necessity of an internal and external call uh, on page three. What, uh, these, these are um, questions that help you discern uh, your external call. What ministry activities have you been involved in at Redeemer and outside of the church that point to your desire to use your gifts and serve God's people? Can others in the church say that they have seen your gifts in service to the church? Are you presently in friendships that require accountability? And are you meeting with people who know you well regular, regularly? And what would they say about your candidacy for office? And has anyone in leadership or the lay level at Redeemer suggested to you that you should consider being an elder or a deacon? So, external call requires that you live in community with the church so that they can observe your gifts and see if what uh, Ephesians 4 is... It's like it shuts off at 15 minutes for some reason in this room. And I caught it that time. Sweet. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you to discern a call, you got to have other people outside looking in at you and saying, yes, you're like... You need to be pursuing this in the church. Um, if you have an external call without an internal call, though, your duties will be lifeless and stale. And if you have an internal call without an external call, you could just be delusional. Hmm. And the church needs to affirm and confirm what you're feeling on the inside. So you got an example of that in the prophet Samuel uh, when God was calling him, when he was like, you know, laying in his bed, and he's like, Samuel, Samuel. And 
He's like, what? And then that happened three times, and then the, the king finally was like, or maybe it was the Eli. previous prophet. Yeah, Eli. Eli. Eli was like, uh, he discerned. Like, that's the Lord calling you. Um, so this is what you do. The, ne the next time you hear that, um, say, I'm, I'm here. Your servant hears, Lord. Um, so this, the first time, I'll tell you how this played itself out in my life. The very first time I preached a sermon was when I was like 20 or 21 years old. I was given an opportunity in my RUF to preach a sermon. And uh, that night, I felt this deep sense of, it was almost like dread in a way. It was a very eerie feeling of like, I just tapped into something that I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. And this kind of, I, I, I remember not getting much sleep, and it, was, it wasn't necessarily like a comforting thought. Um, but I did get this overwhelming sense that this is, this is who I am now. Um, and I've, I spent the next 10 years trying to figure out if that was the voice of God or the voice of the devil, is how I like to put it. And um, the church confirmed, I think, that it was God's call on my life. I didn't take that feeling and, and run with it, but I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, it could be God. It could very well not be. You know, the, the only way I'm going to know if that was legitimately God's call is if the community itself confirms it. So, um, I continue to get a little mystical on that, uh, and so that, it doesn't play itself out like that in other people's lives. And when, when you think about a call, like Troy Kurt says that that's a very elusive term, <laughs> uh, and it is, it is. Uh, and so, to be, to be called is, I don't, I don't even know quite how to define it, all I know how to do is tell you my experience and what I did with it. And... Um, and the church at sort of every level throughout my process of becoming a pastor uh, confirmed that, you know. And we kind of need to do that for, for each other. So, do you have any questions on that? Like in terms of if you are called as an officer, you got to have these two things working together. Yes, Mona. So, is it after much prayer and reflection and consideration that you get the internal call or you feel the internal call and then receive the external call from the community? Yeah, both, both, I mean, both are working in tandem. And so like the, pro the process is, okay. uh, um, if you look on the, the page, let's see here. Page three? Well, probably page 10. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so like in, in terms of well actually look at, at four this is how the process would begin okay so we we open we open up as a church a formal season of discerning who's called to be an officer within the church and that process would begin with like a letter that I would send out uh, representative of the elders and, and saying, okay, it, it's, you know, it's our, it's our privilege 
to enter this season to see who God's raising up to be um, deacons and elders within the church. And, and at that point, uh, the, the congregation will have um, an opportunity to nominate people. Okay. Um, and once those nominations are legitimized, and you can do that in various ways, but like let's say we require three people outside of your immediate family to, to, for us to be consider your nomination legit and for you to go on to the next phase of the process. At that point, uh, we would enter a season where that person is in prayer, discerning whether they're called or not, and then we as the elders would begin training them for the purpose of testing and examining them and then presenting them back to you, the congregation, to say, we have vetted them, we have examined them, we have prayed, they have prayed, y'all have prayed. Um, we think that these would be good shepherds in this community. And so that process will take months. Okay. So I'm looking at, as I think about the future of Redeemer, I'm looking at the year 2022 as uh, the, the process of seeing if we have new elders that are rising up in our community. And then in early 2023, doing that same sort of thing for deacons. So I kind of I line out on page 10 the possible timeline for that, but I don't, want, I don't want you to hold me strictly to that timeline just because uh, I want to be loose with what might happen in our community. Um, but, but in the meantime, be prayerful absolutely. about what God is doing yeah. internally in you. Yeah, Okay. absolutely. And there, I'm, I'm certain there will be people that go through the process of training and they come to the realization like, yes, I'm not, I'm not an officer. And some that will say, yeah, this is, this is what God's calling me to. So. Okay. Um, Thank you. You bet. Yeah. So, uh, ultimately, the congregation and the elders are responsible for giving somebody an external call. So the person should feel free to pursue uh, whether they're called or not without feeling like they, they're the ones that have to decide um, as, as like the person, you know, who receives the call. Um, let's see here. I just jumped to the very end. What other, what other questions do, do we have? Because I just sort of explained the timeline of the process. Can I go back to the circles uh -huh. for a second? Yep. So how in practice, how does it work? Like, say, you have somebody who has a specific uh, exception or disagreement with the confession. Like, how do you, is that, you have to, like, be proactive about bringing that forward. How does that Yeah. Work? So, um, you have to... And we would talk about that more once somebody enters the process, but if, if, it's, if it strikes at the center, you, you vow, one of your ordination vows would be, I of my own volition and will will bring this before the elders and the church and say, I'm actually out of line with, with our standards. So for instance, there, the first PCA church I was a part of, there was a deacon who, whose view on baptism changed in the middle of his serving as a, as a deacon. And this is at Trinity Church in Statesboro, Georgia, right? Um, 
he announced to uh, the deacons and the elders, like, hey, my theology is shifting here, and so I don't, I don't think I'm in line with holding office anymore here. And so he stopped. He stopped serving in that formal role as a deacon, but he was still very much a part of the, the community and body. Um, so that's how, that's how it could play out. Uh, I think it's the elders in, in tandem with the deacons discernment as to whether a difference would preclude somebody from serving in that former role. I mean, just on a practical level, you got to think through, okay, like if this elder isn't for um, the way that, like, let's say we do worship, you know, um, doesn't like the, the way that we do liturgy, you know, some of those practical questions, like you have to sort of line up in order for us to just function well. Um, and so that, that requires discernment on whether that theological difference is going to mess things up in a way that's unhealthy for the building of the body. So, yeah. What other questions we got? character and, and life. Um, but, with, but within that document, it's, uh, we take, we take uh, officers through the entire confession of faith in summary, and we say, do you have any differences here? Um, and then if they say no, then, then we have like an examination of those particular officers to see if they don't just like, you know, can read it off of a page, but actually know it so that they're equipped to teach. So that's more the process with, with elders. Um, with, with deacons, it's a little bit less rigorous. But the reason why it's that way with elders is because one of the qualifications is that you're apt to teach. You're, as our denomination says, you're competent in human learning. <laughs> Presbyterians are bobbleheads. <laughs> Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I have a question. Mm -hmm. You're, you're making yourself a graph of whatever. You have the theology, covenant theology, the sacraments. What is at the core? 
word of God or? Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking authority of scripture, the basic tenets of who Jesus is, like Apostles' Creed stuff, you know, like we, we believe in God the Father, you know, the Son, Holy Spirit, we believe in the virgin birth, you know, like basic core tenets that you can't get away from without believing in Orthodox Christianity, right? But like I, I can, for instance, like I can sit across the table from a Baptist and think, we're like, we believe in the same thing. We're, we want to practice a particular sacrament differently, but we're, we're really in line. Um, so that's what I So again, at the core of your circle, yeah. is the truth of the word of God and then the sacraments and then the, the theological take that our denomination, the Presbyterian Churches in America, has for the Word of God. So at the core is the truth of, of the Word of God and then the sacraments and then the theology. Absolutely, yeah. So the okay. way that the confession starts off is that it says the Bible, the Word of God, is our only authority and written rule of faith and practice. Because that the reason why they said it that way is because it was coming out of a highly Roman Catholic context, which was saying that the authority of the Pope was in the, uh, equal authority with the Scriptures, and so that's part of why I believe the Confession and why I think it's a great summary of the faith is because it starts with stating that Scripture is higher than the standard. Does that make sense? So it's self-admittedly saying, this standard isn't what you submit to. You submit to the scriptures in which these standards submit to, if that, if that makes sense. So it's not a person necessarily like a pope. Correct. It's the word of God right. that you have to, have to set the standard yep. to. Yep, and that, and that comes straight out of the Reformation. You have five solas. One of them was Sola Scriptura, which, which basically was in a contrast to how the church at Rome was thinking about the authority of the church and the authority of Scripture. So it's not that Roman Catholics don't think that Scripture is authoritative. They just think that the church confirms it, whereas Protestants historically has, has said we have recognized by the Holy Spirit what is authoritative and what's not. We don't declare it. It's a very big distinction, and that's what, like, when, when you go back and read uh, these creeds, like creeds in Nicaea, Chalcedon, you know, Chalcedon, however you want to pronounce it, um, they're wrestling with that stuff. They're, they're wrestling like, okay, uh, is the book of Hebrews supposed to be in the canon? You know, and some people are saying, Rome, why don't you tell us? And other people are saying, let's collectively study the scriptures in word and prayer and see see what the Holy Spirit does in our community to help us recognize what's authoritative or not. So that's a very, that's a very Protestant approach to the canon of Scripture, for instance. So, um, and one that I'm in line with. Yeah. And again, it doesn't, it's not the burden of one person. It's Correct. a collective. Yeah, it's communal. Yeah. Okay. And that's where I think Roman Catholics and Protestants agree that there's a, although Roman Catholics sometimes would say that we, we don't submit to the history of the church, but 
But we both, we, we look to the history of the brothers and sisters that have gone before us, um, and we're very, very careful to not, like, change the Apostles' Creed, you know, because this is what the church has said, like, okay, this is a good summary of the faith, and one that we can all sort of rally behind. Um, and so we need history. Okay. What else? Those are good questions. This class is interesting because this particular class because there's like a lot of data and not a lot, and I was hoping that we could have a good dialogue. Um, that would uh, guide and, <clears throat> you know, give us a path for a conversation. But we, well, we only have five more Like minutes. you just said, it's a lot of data. Mm -hmm. So yep. we have to try to find questions in all of this. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of information. It can be, yep. it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things that I think is very, very important as you think about officers is that a person's character is more necessary than their competency. While having said that, competency is a necessity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, you got, you got to place a person's character over what they know and how, you know, how good they are at a particular thing. Um, but... Uh, yeah, an elder in particular needs to needs to know where they stand, needs to know what they think is true, and needs needs to not be sort of shifty about that. Um, that doesn't mean, like we said last week, that doesn't mean that you can't be generous and kind towards those who disagree. Um, but you kind of need to know if you're an elder, like, no, I, I I buy in to this because I think that this is what the scriptures teach. Um, yeah, and so, but by far, uh, the, the thing that's the most important is a person's character. What, what does this person do under pressure? What does this person do when they um, are hurt? How does this person navigate conflict? Are all highly important when it comes to being an elder. Because your, your job is to care for Christ's sheep. So uh, Troy Power has this great thing where it's like the theological knowledge um, is always good and necessary, but the more uh, important thing is when it gets down to the heart level and you, you make that knowledge of Christ uh, internal to your heart, and that's, that's hard for every human being. It's what he calls the crucible of your life. And so each of us has particular areas of our life that are super, super challenging, that are relational with people. And what God is doing in, in that process of honing you and burning off the dross of the gold of the Holy Spirit that's within you is that he's wanting you to take that knowledge and all that competency and put it into practice in your own heart. And that, that is the most important thing in terms of being an elder, in my opinion, and being a Christian. So, an elder is just saying, 
I'm willing to step into the hardest messes in the church and try to figure it out by the grace of God. <laughs> um, I'm willing to serve in the lowest possible ways in, in ways that people don't see and that sometimes won't understand for the sake of the body of Christ. So. So yes, thank your elders when you get a chance, your current ones. All right, anything else? It's 10. I was told to, I need to end this class at 10. And there's no Sunday school class next week. No Sunday school class next week. Correct. All right, let me pray. Then we can call it. Father, we thank you for today thank that you, you would prepare us for worshiping you, that we would uh, step into the, the great congregation knowing you.